On today's episode of Locked on Suns, after a 132-point game on the road against the Dallas Mavericks, with the offense clicking to near perfection, it's time to ask a question that a lot of data backs up. Do the Phoenix Suns have the best offense in the NBA? Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked on Suns your first listen to kick off your Friday. Another Suns game day out in Indianapolis as the road trip continues. Appreciate you getting your day started here on the show. If you're finding us for the first time or maybe you just have not done so already, don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you're finding us. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube. Hit that button, you get a new show in your feed every Monday through Friday. Become an everydayer here on the show and get locked on to the Phoenix Suns all season long. It is that easy and it is, of course, once again, free. Today's show brought to you by eBay Motors, which we'll talk about later on in the show, but let's get right to it. Zach Cram over at the Ringer on Thursday morning. Had a really good breakdown as part of his weekly NBA column over there of why the Phoenix Suns have a case to being the best offense in the NBA. Let me give you some of the numbers that he has in here to illustrate the case. I'll tell you whether I think they're there yet. And we'll go to Bradley Beal from there, I think. But the basic is... Now that Beal, Booker, and Durant have a real sample under their belts, they're looking every bit like the unstoppable unit that they were acquired and assembled to be. The Suns are scoring 135.7 points per 100 possessions with those three guys on the court together across 535 possessions. So this is no longer a really tiny sample where, again, it's hard to tell. This is real. That is in the 100th percentile among all lineups that have played enough in the NBA this season, meaning there's basically been no unit better than those three guys being on the court. And it doesn't even really matter who the other two guys have been. They have a plus 25.1 net rating, which I would imagine is, yeah, if you count that down, the defensive rating is still 112.6 then, but that's hardly, it, it, it's the idea of this whole thing, right? It, it hardly matters if the defense is still barely above average when everything else is working so well. Zach Cram went on to discuss the shooting. The Suns are in at least the 87th percentile in all of the different spots of, of the court. At the rim, all three levels of the mid-range, or two levels of the mid-range, short and long mid-range shots, corner threes, and that is actually, all of those are 96th 
percentile or higher. The above the break, break threes, they're only shooting 40% from. Man, those most difficult shots in basketball, they're only shooting 40% on. What a what an underachieving performance, right? Of course not. No, that's still elite. The, the case here, right, is that you just simply can't make the right decision, right? That's the case of this Suns offense being the best one in the league, in addition to those numbers, right? And there's even more numbers, right? They've been a pretty good offensive rebounding team most of the season, depending on who's on the court. They get to the free throw line like crazy. It's basically them or the basically walking trip to the free throw line of Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. It fluctuates between those two. That is great company to be in. That is a big part of why they are so unstoppable. But again, the point of building a roster like this, with not only this big three, but I would add Grayson Allen and I would add Yusuf Nurkic and I would add Eric Gordon when he's going, is that there's no good choice. Every thing that a defense might do, as long as the players are executing, making good decisions, spaced properly, playing with pace, all the things we've talked about all season, no matter what a defense would can do, they're going to have a leak. There is going to be an opening somewhere to attack, and with this talent, the Suns will attack it, and they will find it, and they will get a good shot out of it, because rather than, like, forget even past Suns teams, I was going to throw like a Landry Shamit or a Jay Crowder or a DeAndre Ayton out there as sort of a release valve or a puncturer of those holes. What I would say is, compare it even to other NBA teams, right? Compare it to other Western Conference teams. Compare it to the Dallas Mavericks, who they just played. <clears throat> the Suns at times, in... The second To start the second half, Yusuf Nurkic is guarding Grant Williams. Then when Grant Williams gets hurt, or gets hurt, gets ejected, I should say, Yusuf Nurkic moves on to guarding Derek Jones. That's a weak point, right? That's exploitable. When the Suns devote so much attention to stopping Luka, those guys have opportunities to make plays. They're not good enough to make plays, right? Bradley Beal has a third option. Grayson Allen as a fourth option, Yusuf Nurkic rolling to the basket or operating as a passer in space. Those guys are good enough to, to, to puncture these things and to take advantage of what's being opened up by the defense. Here's what I will say and why I don't quite think, even based on some awesome numbers, that it is the best offense in the NBA yet. And I don't mean this as a cop-out. It's easy to go, well, I just need to see it. Okay, duh, of course. Nobody would literally say, based on this handful of games, month or so of games, that they've proven themselves to be the best offense in the NBA. Of course not. I'm not just saying it as that kind of a cop-out. The reason that I would not yet, them, yet put them in that class, and that class to me is the Denver Nuggets, that class to me could potentially be the Milwaukee Bucks, and that class to me is the LA Clippers, okay? Those are 
three of the seven best offenses in the NBA, statistically. The Suns actually still are only eighth, okay? The Clippers, the Nuggets, and the Bucks. Now, all of those teams don't yet have what I'm going to say the Suns need either, but they're at least a lot closer, which is cohesion, chemistry. Because the thing I don't yet trust, and in Zach Cram's article, he even points out the turnovers with those three guys on the big three on the court for Phoenix have actually trended downward. It's not nearly the emergency you might remember it as during the early season stuff. But the part that I don't yet trust is the ability to rip through different options and different methods of attacking defenses one after the next, over and over, in an instant. That is hard to do, right? Even if the Suns did a great job of attacking Derek Lively, attacking Luka, playing fast, they executed that to a really high degree. That's how you get 132 points. But can they do that <clears throat> against elite defensive teams, elite defensive game plans, every night across a whole playoff series without missing a beat. I know the Nuggets can do that. I guess we're still seeing an evolution with Milwaukee, with Giannis and Dame, and now Doc Rivers playing, uh, developing the game plans. And the Clippers, it's pretty easy for them because they'll just isolate you and kill you that way. But they've shown, and they have more of a time together than even the Suns have had, despite the Harden trade coming midseason, they still have more reps. Those teams have that. The Bucks have shown that they can get there, and Dame needs to play up to that level. The Suns can get there too, but that's the last ingredient. A big part of that ingredient will be Bradley Beal. A big part of that ingredient has already been Bradley Beal. We'll break down his sacrifice full season next first today's show brought to you by ebay motors our partners at ebay motors have teamed up with our lovely josh lloyd who hosts locked on fantasy basketball to bring you some of the best picks each week all season long for your fantasy basketball teams whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week you're going to get players from josh lloyd's brain straight to your ears that are guaranteed to fit your roster so let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. You have Marvin Bagley, somehow already playing a big role with the Wizards after they he was dumped on them a couple weeks back. Jabari Walker, starting in Portland, playing very well, closing games. Just a guy that's playing big minutes, and that can have value in fantasy. Aaron Neesmith stepping into a starting role as well with Bruce Brown gone. We saw... Him do a, a decent job against the Suns the other night. Mason Plumley also in line for more minutes with Evika Zubots out of the lineup. And then Gigi Jackson, the star of the MLK Day game last week and somebody with the Grizzlies' entire roster seemingly hurt who is getting every opportunity to score the ball. Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. It's the same with your vehicle. Uh, I'm a Hyundai Elantra driver because I just want to get good gas mileage in Arizona and I trust that car, but I know my stepdad is a big stick shift guy. I know my 
in-laws are big car people who trade stuff in and mess with that world all the time. I have recommended eBay Motors to all of those people because I have personal experience that it's legit. A sunshade, a wheel cover, yeah, small stuff, but I knew it was going to fit my car. It did fit my car. It was reasonably priced, and it came fast. 122 million parts at eBay eBay Motors, and with their guaranteed fit, you know it's going to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back. With these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash, so keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's keep it rolling. Talking Bradley Beal. All right. Again, an easy thing to say. An obvious thing to say here that Bradley Beal was the missing piece because he quite literally was. He was a big piece and he was missing. Now he's back and they're playing well. It sort of sounds obvious, but I think what cannot get overlooked when you say that, despite how obviously true it is, is that Beal's impact, the, the value that he's been able to have, was not a given, okay? Beal is averaging. 18.1 points. Let's talk about it this way, per 36 minutes. I think that's this is a situation where that's more helpful because it evens out everything, and you're not having to say, well, but he played more in Washington. or Okay. Per 36 minutes. Two seasons ago, 23.2 points. The seasons both before that, over 30. Last season, with Kuzma and Porzingis, still 25 points per 36 minutes. Obviously, the previous season there was Russell Westbrook. Beal has had different teammates. He has had different roles. You even go back to some of the John Wall years. Beal has not scored this few points per 36 minutes since his third NBA season when he was 21 years old. He has not had the consistent night-in, night-out assist numbers that you might have wanted, but what he... It's pretty much even with the past few years, not quite as... The past two years, he was kind of their point guard a lot of the time. They had, like, again, Kuzma, Porzingis, um, DeLon Wright, guys like that who are not really point guards. But his turnovers are down. That's really big. And he's shooting 39% from deep, as well as 56% from two. His efficiency is off the charts. So he's doing what every third banana on a super team in recent NBA history and NBA history period has ever done what we knew he would have to do. And I feel like I kind of talked myself out of the idea of sacrifice or reduced role or whatever, because I, you know, see people like Steven Perjone and others who were optimistic about Beal being able to play his game without the numbers taking a hit or anything else. And I think kind of both arguments were true. Obviously, the numbers are down a little bit, as I just said, but you don't feel like he's uninvolved. And I think that's why last year for this guy was so big. That's why the impact and the value is where it's at, because he's combining everything 
staying plenty involved. I mean, we can use something like usage or assist rate. His usage rate, again, lower, low as it's been since that third season. But his assist rate is, okay, again, not, not super high. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should say that he's a little bit less involved. But he's very clearly still the third guy on this team, I guess is my point, right? He's not getting lost in the shuffle. He is very clearly a go-to option to score, to play make. But most importantly, where I was going with the Wizards last season and what he developed playing with those two guys is his value as a screener, his value as a team offensive player. And what I mean by that is not just that he's unselfish or passes. What I mean by that is that he's used as a versatile chess piece within an offense. And it's a weird way, weird day to talk up this aspect of what Peel is because the coach that put him in those situations, Wes Unsell Jr., just got fired today. I don't personally understand what the hell he was supposed to do with Washington's roster. Sort of feels like them getting a head start on the coaching market. Conversation for a different day. But he did good things with Peel. Those three players, Kuzma, Porzingis, and Beal, were all interchangeable within that offense. All three could handle the ball. All three could screen. All three could shoot. All three could handle. I think I said that. What I meant is pass. And all three had various versions of career seasons. For Beal, that was close to a career best in terms of efficiency, in terms of playmaking for Kuzma scoring for Porzingis post game and playmaking and reading the floor and everything else and Beal's taking those lessons and doing it with just better teammates but the reason it works I know I keep saying but the reason but the reason but we're going layers deep here the Suns offense is great because of Beal Beal is great because he is playing as this chess piece and him playing as this chess piece works because it makes it forces the defense to do exactly what the Suns want want it to do, right? You cannot help you cannot help off of Bradley Beal, right? He's too deadly of a shooter, too deadly attacking closeouts, makes the right decision, and everything else. When he's used as a screener, the defense's instinct is to go to the ball. The defense's instinct when Devin Booker is coming off of a double screen from, let's say, Beal and Nurkic. Nurkic rolls, Beal pops, very normal double drag set. We've seen Booker run a lot. Even though it's Bradley Beal, even though Nurkic is a big guy, the instinct is to try to worry about what on earth Devin Booker is about to do. Is he about to pull up for three in your face? Is he about to take a couple steps inside and pull up from mid in your face? Is he looking for a pass? You want to flood the, the you know passing lanes on that? Is he driving? You want to stop him? Meanwhile, Beal's just chilling at the top of the arc, wide open, right? There's a whole bunch of versions of this. As a roller, when we've seen him do that, when Durant is handling the ball, as purely a spacer, all of these things. The last thing I want to say, though, from a to kind of hammer home the point of sacrifice, why 
I do think that that's a fair thing to say and not an insult or some sort of problem here. His contributions to what the Suns did on their huge run to take back the lead and then blow out Dallas on their home court on Wednesday night should not go overlooked. I kind of feel like the momentum started to shift when he had the dunk. Now, he had a dunk, and then he had a a block. And then Luka got going a bit, and the Suns actually ended up having to call a timeout. But that's when it started to feel like it shifted to me, where they started to claw back into it. And after that, he stayed on the court almost the whole rest of the quarter, the second quarter. He had a putback, an offensive rebound with the little floater. He had an assist off of the broken play where KD was bobbling the ball and Grayson Allen ends up getting the the left right wing three. Beal gets it in the corner, kicks it to Allen when the defense comes to try to contest his three. He had a defense against the Dante Exum closeout that resulted in a throw to the corner where I believe Luca was, and I think that was the turnover to Grayson Allen. I'm not fully remembering, but there was that closeout defense was definitely there, and that led to a kill against a Dallas possession as the defense. All these little things. He's a very solid help defender. He is a smart passer. He can get them going in transition. He's not afraid to attack the basket. Those are not all things you maybe would have highlighted about Beal. Even though he's a talented guy, he probably has always been capable of those things. He just wasn't doing them. It takes commitment. It takes determination. It takes sacrifice. And he's doing it. Let's close out the show with a little bit of transaction talk. I know it is that time of year. Woj, on a Threads Q&A, I guess he's doing those now, said that he does not expect the Suns to have much luck in the trade market. Now, you can disagree with that. I'm not positive that I agree with that. But he said, much more likely to have buyout guys. Mark Spears echoed the same thing. So we will dive into who those could be next. First, today's show brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly is, I mean, for a writing lover like myself, one of my favorite partners we've ever had. And when it comes to writing, Grammarly is there to support you from start to finish. For over 10 years, before anyone else was doing it, Grammarly has been powered by AI technology you can trust to help you across all the places where you write the most. And now, Grammarly helps you do even more. With one click, you can easily brainstorm, rewrite, reply with suggestions based on your context and goals. So if you've heard of these AI prompt things, it's exactly what you're imagining. When you're stuck at writing, with writing, at work, or maybe you're trying to plan something and you want to send out info to the rest of your group, it doesn't always have to be something big, but you don't want to sound dumb and you don't want to get anything wrong and Grammarly helps you. For instance, if you are a content creator on the side, maybe you sell things on any number of websites, you can give Grammarly the prompt, give me taglines, give me descriptions for my content or for my product. Tons of different things in addition to the typical workplace stuff. So start being more productive 
with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free today. That's Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Closing out the show, let's talk buyout players, all right? One thing to keep in mind, and you can sign up for the Locked on Suns Insider text alerts at the link in the show description below or at joinsubtext.com slash Suns. Incredibly valuable this time of year where I will be sending out all of the rumors you could imagine about the Suns. They're connected to that guy. They want that guy. This guy might be available I will send them directly to your phone. You can respond to me. You can ask me questions. You can give me your thoughts. I have game day stuff every single game day and much more. So you'll want to check that out if you have not already. Again, link in the show description or join subtext.com slash Suns. The reason I bring it up is that I sent something out about Kyle Lowry and a subscriber there was nice enough to point out that I was wrong because I was just going too fast. Kyle Lowry gets traded to Charlotte in that Rogier deal and I'm like, Awesome. Suns can get Kyle Lowry. They cannot. And I knew that, but I forgot. And the reason is Kyle Lowry makes too much money. Okay. So for a good, a perfect example of this rule, $29.7 million is Lowry's salary this season. That number of course is more than 12.4 million. 12.4 million is this year's mid-level exception. You don't really have to know why that's the number, but that's the number. And the Suns cannot sign anybody on a buyout who makes more than that salary when they're bought out. So Lowry at $30 million, way too high. The Suns are not eligible to sign him because they are above the second apron. So this is one of the another one of the wrinkles of the limitations the Suns have in terms of building out their roster. Many of you probably knew that. I just wanted to preface us there. So for another example related to the Charlotte Hornets, Gordon Hayward. He makes $31.5 million. I personally don't think anybody's going to trade for him because he is always injured. So I think he could get bought out. The Suns will not be able to sign him. Okay, so keep that in mind when you're thinking of names, when you're talking about names, when you're texting me back on the Locked on Suns insiders with what about this guy or that guy? The Suns cannot always get those players. So here's a good one. Kelly Olenek makes right below the number at 12.2. I think he'd be solid, but I think he's too close to Yusuf Nurkic. Okay, so that's a no. I also think Kelly Olenek will be traded, but Bill Simmons brought him up as a buyout guy, so, you know, crazier things have happened. I've mentioned the name DeLon Wright before as a trade target, but on an expiring contract, if the war, if the Wizards don't get a lot of interest in him, maybe they do him a favor. He's in his 30s now, and they probably will not re-sign him. He's been hurt in and out of the lineup this season. Maybe they would do him that favor and buy him out. A couple of names. We're just going to go from the end of the lineup, end of the alphabet, up among all the tanking teams that could be buyout candidates. In Toronto, two names. Thaddeus Young, who is starting, has been starting games for this team. I think he is now hurt again. And Otto Porter. Do either one of those have enough... Go- one of those guys have enough in the tank to contribute to a playoff team in 2024. I probably lean toward no, but that's the type of player that tends to become available. Guys you're not sure on, right? The Suns were so eager to get Terrence Ross. Remember that? Didn't go anywhere, right? So that's where we are. Let's move on to the Memphis Grizzlies. 
I don't know how many guys they have that they would buy out because almost everybody on their team is on a multi-year contract. So I'm probably leaning toward the only options. I could maybe see Derrick Rose, but they seem to like his connection to John Morant, and he's been hurt all season. Not even a difference maker in 2024 to me. So on to the next, okay? Houston Rockets. I've Another guy that I've mentioned as a trade target, Jay Sean Tate. Now, the t- I don't know how team options work with this stuff. He technically has a team option for next season. I don't know if you're allowed to decline that now and then he can be cut all at once. But if he can, keep him on your radar. The maybe more interesting one, an old favorite, Aaron Holiday. Having an amazing season in Houston. Really, really solid season as a backup point guard for them. Very similar to Fred Van Vliet, which I think has been helpful. So maybe out of that context, without Alperin Shengun to help him out and without maybe so much responsibility, because frankly, Ime Udoka entrusting the whole second unit to Aaron Holiday was kind of an upset, but he's handled it. Maybe he doesn't get that trust from another coach. I'm not sure. I also am not sure that they would move on from him because even though they're kind of a younger team and he's a vet, he's only 27 and he had his best years here. But if for some reason he wants out and they don't give him a signal that they're going to re-sign him, he's also expiring, maybe they would move on. He would be incredible for this Suns team, but I kind of don't think it's going to happen. Detroit. Joe Harris might get bought out. He makes too much money for the Suns to keep him. Uh, James Wiseman, don't think he makes sense here. Alec Burks is on an expiring contract, makes little enough money that he could be a candidate, but I don't think... I think the Pistons could get something for him. I think he will get traded if he's moved at all, if if they get rid of him at all. But two interesting names on the... I would say three interesting names at the bottom of the Pistons roster. Monte Morris, who has not played all season, it might just not happen, and he is an, a free agent. I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to the Nuggets, to com- be completely honest with you. Who knows with him? But obviously, if he were to be bought out and he were to be healthy, we know the Suns. They don't need a point guard, but somebody like Morris, who defends well at the point of attack and can just set the table, it's kind of a why not with him. Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, just got to Washington just got to Detroit from Washington in the Bagley trade that I mentioned in the eBay read. I don't think either one of them would be in a playoff rotation. Let me just say that. But if you just want a little bit more depth so that maybe in a playoff series you don't have to play Chemezi Metu if Eubanks and Nurkic aren't don't have it going, for instance, okay, I could see it. And then Danilo Gallinari is sort of just a big shooter. He, he still puts up buckets. I just think defensively in the playoffs, it's probably a no-go. But again, depth. If you want to have him in there more than like a Yuta Watanabe, I, why, who am I to say no? Chicago Bulls, I don't think really have a ton of buyout candidates. Torrey Craig has a player option for next season. Andre Drummond, I think that they could probably get something for on the trade market, although maybe he could get bought out. And that's sort of it for them. So, unfortunately, 
they're going to be either a trade team or a no-trade team, and I kind of have a feeling they're going to frustrate all of us and not make trades. The Nets don't really have anyone. You would say maybe Dennis Smith Jr. because he hasn't been available, but I also think he played really well for Charlotte last year. They were pretty excited about that signing and talking him up preseason and everything, so I kind of think he might just come back on another minimum, and there's no need to cut him and let him go to another team. Lastly, the Atlanta Hawks. Patty Mills is is a very likely buyout candidate. I just don't think he has anything left in the tank. But if, you know, he did play with KD once upon a time, if there is some sort of relationship stuff similar to the PJ Tucker thing we've talked about, them, you know, him becoming available, he might not play, but as a leader, as a vet, might make sense to just have on the roster for a playoff run. I could see it with Patty Mills. That's pretty much it for them. So those are the options here. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be a huge home run. That is what the buyout market is. But I think between those names, if even one of them were to come to the Suns, I think everybody I listed off who I kind of hyped up in any way, shape, or form would provide some value, even if it's just in the regular season. So those are all of the guys that I could possibly see. Hopefully that helps. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Don't forget to sign up for Locked on Suns Insider Text Alerts like I mentioned before. Join subtext.com slash locked on Suns or click the link in the show description below. Suns Pacers on Friday. I will have a preview on the audio feed. Sunday night recap of that game. Talk to you then.